This is Magic, welcoming y'all to the More Than Music podcast hosted by Soulseed. Today's episode will be hosted by Sky and myself, and we will be introducing our good friends Da Best, an awesome reggae band who now reside in San Diego, who came from the East Coast. Stay tuned to hear their story of their musical journey and inspirations and some fun road stories that we share, and I think it will be an awesome episode for you all to enjoy. So thank you for joining the More Than Music podcast today. Welcome to the More Than Music podcast, hosted by us, Soulseed. We'll be sharing tour stories, lyric breakdowns, and insights into our approach to music, the art, as well as the business. We'll also be interviewing some of the friends and family we've made throughout the years in the spirit of sharing their many marvelous trials and triumphs. So get comfortable and join us as we explore More Than Music. What up, Steve Stranots fam? Thank you all so much for joining us here, the More Than Music podcast. Today we have Magic and Sky hosting this episode, and we are bringing in the most incredible band, one of our best friends. These guys are the real deal. This is the best coming out of San Diego. We are joined with Ryan, Corey, Andrew, and Kyle. How are you guys doing? Fantastic. Miss everybody over there. Miss you guys. Miss y'all, man. Yeah, no, seriously stoked to be able to hit the road again and join each other in person. Thank you for joining us today. Stoked for everybody to get introduced to you, get to introduce to your music. Um, what started you guys out? Were you all friends first or did you meet like through friends, music? How did that start? Since we are quite young, well, some of them. Yeah, I mean, me and Ryan played together since like fifth grade. Um, but we didn't go to the same school as these guys. So we didn't meet, uh, Andrew until like seventh grade. Yeah. And he was kind of like our rival, even though we were friends, <laughs> he was in a band and we were in a band. So we were kind of <laughs> rivals. And then we met, uh, Kyle when he was a freshman and we were sophomores in high school. It was like, oh, six. Yeah. 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 Nice. You guys, their bands would always be suffering like the drummer problem, but like luckily we had a drummer, so we kind of had that edge. But like we weren't doing anything, we were just like coming in from 82. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so really, there was no need to like knock it along. <laughs> so <laughs> then Andrew spitefully played drums for us eventually, and i mean that lightly like we definitely were friends but we didn't want to admit it you know what i mean like, yeah yeah, yeah. Spite drums yeah yeah nice man so yeah it's so school uh that's always cool like just meeting homies that's actually like the first band i played in even before meeting mikey it was like just they're like oh you play this you play that like all right well let's jam sometime and then you just become best buds and same my first group was also just a group of high school buddies, and I was less a performer at the beginning. We had a, we had access to a studio. I grew up in the Bay Area outside of San Francisco in California, and we had access to a studio through a friend, and um, he was kind of part of the old school hippie scene outside of San Francisco, the Merry Pranksters and, and the old dead scene and whatnot, and um, he used to put out some like 70s and 80s jam bands and stuff in the studio, and he basically let us jam for free. And we just, you know, loaded him up with the goods and he let us in the door. And uh, as high school kids with nowhere else to go, we basically lived in that studio junior, senior year uh, when I wasn't playing ball. And I started running sound, actually. I, like, began my music career as a sound engineer. And I used that very lo uh, loosely, but he did teach me how to do it. And I at least knew how to plug everything in and turn everything on, uh, which is pretty cool. So that's awesome. And, uh, Kyle, you mentioned that was 2006, 2009. Is that about when you – when? 
everything kind of clicked. Is that, is that about where we're at? I was a freshman in high school in 06 and I met them through a kid that I grew up with. One of their, (laughs) yeah, they had law one and then Corey and Ryan had firing squad. So I, I joined firing squad as the drummer. We played like, we played like uh, punk and like grunge and like sublime covers. Dipped into reggae a little bit. Yeah. Bad brains. And then we started getting really into reggae. And then uh, at one point there was <clears throat> there were like five different bands between this this group of people and like trying to schedule a band practice became <laughs> impossible. Like we would fight over like who was gonna get to practice and there was we'd like, fight I, over Corey because he was in both bands. Yeah, there yeah. was and then it was just complicated. It's I was I was being very slutty musically. <laughs> <laughs> You're in high demand. That's a, that's quite the honor. A uh, yeah, that's interesting. And, and just to be clear here to to our listeners. Um, so we're talking to you in San Diego currently. You're based out of San Diego now, but this is actually on the East Coast, correct? Yeah. Yes. Bridgewater, Massachusetts. That's where we all grew up. South of Boston. It's like 20 minutes south of Boston in the suburbs. South Shore. Yep, South Shore. South Shore is what they call it. It's like a college town, but it's pretty pretty big town. It was uh, amazing pizza. I mean, yeah. I don't know what else to say about it. But yeah. It's good. <laughs> good pizza. Monson. All you need to have oh, good roads to skate, <laughs> good roads to skateboard. Yeah, for the most part. Uh, nice, nice, uh, nice woods. We yeah, hung out yeah. in the woods a lot. Oh yeah, we, had, we had to go to the woods to smoke uh, weed when we were. Sounds like sounds like uh, Soul Seeds upbringing. Yeah. Growing up here in the in the Pacific Northwest, there's a lot of a lot of trails, some beach work, uh, very little bigger city uh, vibe. So. I appreciate that. Um, so you guys are in Massachusetts, growing up, playing in high school, getting together. Um, you're in two bands. How did the two bands eventually merge into what you have now? I think it, well, when we named the band, one of the bands, Divest, I feel like everyone was like jealous of that name, first of all. <laughs> all the bands had like bad names, you know what I mean? It was like, not bad names, but they're like punk names. And we were trying to do like kind of like a different thing. We were just focused on like dumb. Commit to reggae. Commit to reggae. It was kind of like a reggae. side project for like. Yeah, it started as a second. side project. Yeah. I was actually the original drummer of that. And then it just oh, yeah. got all shifted around. But And then, yeah, so basically like that became the most exciting thing in the group, you know, and we kind of like turned it into one band and you know some of the there was like basically people that weren't like always you know at like just it kind of just boiled down to a smaller group yeah the lazy musicians in our group got weeded out yeah (laughs) i I didn't want to like everyone that was ready to commit like all joined the best basically yeah exactly yeah and so outside of outside of uh kind of of uh revolving bass position which we'll get to a little bit later on, um, you guys are the core four and you have been the original four otherwise since the beginning, uh, what, 12 years ago now? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. 2009. Yeah. And uh, one more question. I'll let Magic uh, jump in here. So um, now what, what Magic and I know and what Solsi knows with playing with you guys, um, Ryan's keys and vocals, uh, Kyle's drums. Um, you guys you kind of switch off on bass and guitar. Or Corey, are you strictly guitar? Andrew's guitar and bass now, but now I'm hearing that basically all of you play drums at one point. Which <laughs> just quickly fill us in really quick. Like, are are all of you multi instrumentalists? Um, how did you how did you fall into the positions you're currently at with um, the best? Because again, what Magic and I know you as isn't what we're hearing right now, which I find very interesting. 
Yeah, me and Andrew played guitar the whole time in Jabez. We both played guitar. I would switch off between lead and rhythm. Yeah, and we started playing those instruments as kids. Like, that was our yeah. first instrument. So, like, I always, like, had the, like, the love for it and, like, you know what I mean? But growing up and all being in bands together and, like, that downtime when someone else sits on the drum kit, someone else gets on the yeah. bass, like, that was a big part of it. And that, like, came out to a lot of learning because we're all very, like, we, like, it's a lot of like what, what we hear, you know, we use our ear for like everything. So I think we're also all like kind of necess- like we do what needs to be done. Like we're all the kind of people that we fill whatever void needs to be filled. Like, I think you know, I didn't want to start singing. I think when, when Corey and I were like little kids playing music, it was like, someone's going to sing. We can't just play like Nirvana covers, with no <laughs> vocals. Like, yeah. you know what I mean? So it was kind of like, all right, well, I guess I'll sing some and you'll sing some. And it was like, it, and then it turned into like, wow, it, it became really fun. You know what I mean? It developed into something. But we've all always been able to kind of like fill whatever void like Andrew's playing bass. Yeah. You know, it just be, whatever becomes available or whatever needs to happen, you know, we're all pretty flexible. So. I played keyboards on one of our albums, Avoid the Fear. It's basically <laughs> yeah. Ryan was at college and he had, you were playing melodica at the time. Yeah. But didn't have a keyboard. And I like bought a Fender Rhodes. Yeah. So I like, I just used that. And like, I wasn't good. Like I'm, I haven't played in years, but I, I knew enough to play like rhythm for reggae, you know, on a yeah. keyboard. <laughs> I think you had a keyboard on stage sometimes. That yeah, there was a handful of shows where I had a keyboard. Wasn't that my, like, Casio? Yeah, like, yeah, yeah it was, it was it like was a young, uh, you know, like a... Yeah, I never brought the roads anywhere. Yeah, we used, yeah, get, yeah. We used some pretty weird jams and stuff, you know. Yeah, we played a, a lot of weird shows where a member of the best couldn't make it. And we wanted to take the gig anyway, and we ended up like playing weird music. It was like yeah. three like trio shows and two stuff out like of that. five. <laughs> yeah. That's interesting. We've we've had to we've had to pull some things too. And usually, our only situation when we do that, our, our situation is basically like we're already on the road. We pick up, a, you know, you guys know how it is. You're on the road. You have an off day. You pick up something from a local or whatever, and you play it. But we've played a number of shows with somebody missing due to illness. We've had, you know, we've been touring 10 years, things happen on the road and um, we'll have somebody swap out. But uh, it's interesting, you know, like all of us like to play multiple instruments, but we're pretty set in our positions um, as far as what we play. So that's really that's really awesome. And, you know, Fortunate Youth uh, is, you know, I think one of the prominent bands that has made playing different instruments during the same show. Uh, you know, part of their show. I mean, it's incredible watching them play and literally all all the guys are just cycling through each instrument essentially throughout the show and it's really fun to watch on stage. So that's awesome you guys are able to do that. Fish did that actually back in the day. They had a rotation jam and like they would all rotate instruments every like couple minutes. It was pretty interesting. <laughs> nice. I love that. Well, yeah, I mean, what's slightly stupid, they'll like throw each other the bass, like just catch it, switch it, you know, mid-song. <laughs> Dude, so go ahead. Oh, no, I was just saying they're very quick with it. <laughs> they're used to it. Yeah, yeah. Um, that's awesome. Ryan, I actually find that really interesting that you didn't want to sing uh, initially, especially like as. It was more just like, you know, I re- we realized someone had to do it. It wasn't necessarily what I got into it for, but it was like someone was going to have to sing if we're going to cover all these songs that we want to play. Well,. I'll just jump in and say, I, you know, I, I, I know that you have the, the three and potentially four part harmonies going on. Awesome. Which makes your roots sound so fucking crispy and delicious. Uh, but Ryan, I have to say, man, your voice is butter, dude. And I don't know if you guys all have 
classic school training. Uh, I know the school of Berkeley is out there um, in the Boston area. I don't know if you guys have any affiliation with that at all, but uh, your voice, man, is, is just one of my favorites across the board and the harmonies that the rest of you put behind it. Um, just, it, it just sounds so smooth. And when you play a roots style, like soul seed has five vocalists, all of us do something, but right. um, like magic and I are predominantly rapping. And then we do a little bit of like harmonizing. Mikey does both. Benny's pr primarily singing and Kenny kind of has a couple of, of songs, you know, so it's a much different situation, but um, the way you guys have, have, orchestrated the vocal side of your music knowing now <laughs> that it wasn't necessarily the plan going in when you all started uh is frankly incredible man seriously um that's really really awesome and i just love the sound in general but but ryan your voice is is delicious thank you well these guys also started singing kind of in the same way where it was like we loved the harmony groups like we really love like the Itals and um, the Gladiators and all those like harmony groups and all those, you know, like that sound is really something we're into. So we wanted to do that. And it just became like someone, you know, there has to be three or four people singing to make that happen. So it became a necessity. And, and it's also just super fun. You know, the more that one person can do on the stage, the more excited, more deep than me, like the, you know, the more sound there's going to be. And it just adds layers, you know, might as well sing. Kyle was singing at first too. It's just it's probably a lot to do, you know, singing and playing drums all the time. Yeah, yeah. magic knows. <laughs> Double duty. Yeah, it's intense. Good stuff. Props. Thank you, bros. Yeah, I appreciate that. Uh, and you know, it's it's awesome. Like, I think it's really cool that you guys have more of an old reggae style, like more of that Motown reggae style, where it is like harmonies and like some of your flat picking some of those like trills that that you boys do on the guitars are just like so clean super well polished and uh it really makes it unique in today's reggae i feel like there's so much like rock reggae and hip-hop reggae and you guys bring this really rootsy awesome like pretty sound like lover's rock kind of style and um i've heard people say that like like ryan your voice is like the reggae that people miss you know it's like bringing back that that kind of motown reggae so i'm hyped on you guys and, and on your sound i hope people leave this podcast and look you up on spotify or itunes and download your stuff immediately <laughs> so what brought you guys from the east coast to the west coast i mean obviously i i could kind of guess but i'm really curious to hear what you guys went through because that's a huge move and to do it for the music is, is super inspiring something we had talked about for a while um you know we were basically like uh we kind of like we toured the northeast a lot and once we started touring kind of like the the whole east coast and then eventually we moved moved our way out west and um we eventually toured california and we, we just loved it and like it's something we talked about moving for a while and like i don't know i don't know what made us pick san diego yeah. specifically it always seemed like the dream basically yeah <laughs> i had never even been to california and i wanted to live there like ever since being a kid basically you know? i kind of did too like I, I had family in uh the bay area and um i went out there a couple times when i was little and you know northern california is a whole different thing too but you know the whole state is amazing but um 
I always kind of wanted to live on the West Coast, too. Well, yeah, like, I mean, with that sunny, I mean, being a reggae band, uh, I'm sure it's it's different everywhere you go. But yeah, like San Diego, California, like, that is kind of the dream. There's so much music that you hear that has come out of that area that then you're just like, oh, like, well, let's go there. That That's <laughs> the next best option. We have to be near the ocean, too. But. Yeah, and it was like we wanted to. We definitely thought Southern California because of the reggae scene, but also like we, LA is awesome to have access to. It is cool, but we didn't want to necessarily live in LA. Yeah. So it's like to to be a few hours from LA is awesome, and not be like driving through it all the time when you don't have to. And Southern California just has that. You know, reggae is like the focus here. You hear it like out of every car in every like restaurant. Like it's yeah. the the genre of the area. Like the same way that if you go to like, you know, Austin, Texas, you're probably going to hear more like country rock and stuff like just it's, yeah. you know, it's the standard here. We kind of realized there was more opportunity for us here than where we were from. And, you know, we love where we're from and everything. But, you know, it was it was really hard to book a show in like New York City, even like we've never yeah. even technically played in New York City. but Even Boston, like the city, it was tough to like book shows and, and like play really good shows in those cities. And sustaining mm -hmm. a crowd because it's such a college-based area, so it's like a tide of people that's always changing. So it's like, and then the winter later, the winter different. makes the city so hard to navigate, especially in park and all that stuff. And <laughs> whenever, like, if you have a show, and it, you guys probably know this too, but if you have a show and it snows, it's gonna definitely like Effect. cut out from the cut out the audience a little bit. Like, if people just don't want to leave the house as much when it's snowing. We were just like. Absolutely. And and that's one thing that's one thing you don't have to worry about in San Diego is the weather, which is nice. And, you know, growing up in the Bay Area, even even growing up in California, San Diego was was the place to go. Um, and it, for me, it was actually going to college down to San Diego or coming up here to Eugene. And I ended up in Eugene and going to U of O and the rest is history. But um, San Diego is, has drawn a lot of transplants. You know, a good good friend of ours. I'm actually, I'm repping them. Big up Synergy, um, but you know, Synergy grew up with us. Uh, well, started in Arizona, but then they grew up with us in Southern Oregon, um, and then transferred you know back down to San Diego eventually as well. And there's many other bands, obviously, over the years who have done that um, as well. So the the sound, obviously, pre pandemic, we don't know what's going to happen after we get out of this, but the venues and the scene and the culture down there in general um, and the history of course of sublime and slightly stupid and these groups who have kind of transcended there, but um, it's been a great, great scene. And uh, that's awesome. You guys made the move. Soul Seed has had a couple loose conversations over the years because we have had our backs against the wall and we're very aware of it, uh, but we love where we are and our families are here and it's kind of hard to uproot, especially at this point, but we've known that our backs are against the wall growing up in the Pacific Northwest and if we were in Portland or Seattle, it might be a little bit different, but little Eugene, um, you know, it's hard. And it wasn't until we really got some like regional and national exposure were we able to draw bigger bands passing through and we could actually bring them to Eugene to play with us. Uh, and we could host them here with three, four, 500 people. Um, it was very hard to do. So I'm, I applaud you guys for making the move because we've talked about it a lot and there was always some reason not to. So well done. I think also you you realize when you tour a lot though that like it kind of doesn't matter where you live if you're on the road enough you know what I mean like you you're you know you guys are close to a lot of great cities up there like where you where you're at so 
in the, you can do like three hour radius from there, do a bunch of shit, but also, you know, when you're on the road, it's like, you're going to hit everywhere eventually anyway. So it's, you know what I mean? Yep. You guys are in an awesome so it's cool what you guys have done with like we love like coming up there and just seeing like this like giant family and like theme that you guys have created up there is really it's really awesome it's like something we were never able to do in our area i mean we we, we had some great shows in our like hometown area but you know just um you guys have like a whole like I'm sure everyone in Eugene knows who Soul Seed is. Exactly, yeah. And like, uh, you know. Yeah. Well, and we're hyped to have been able to like bring you guys in and then like, we need you guys in Oregon more, you know? It's it's nice now that you guys are so close and we've been listening to your music for a long time. So it's like to finally link and then just become on the, the homie level. Uh, it's awesome to, to bring you into the family because that is sort of our mentality is it's not fans, it's not our crowd it is like a big gathering of of the fam you know you get everybody together and whether you know them or you're meeting them uh or you don't know them at all it's just like everybody's included as long as everybody feels safe there's a space for everybody and uh i love how music can become more than just the show and the party and and like we can really create a positive community and i love just like having you guys be a part of it and uh and having yeah, you a little closer to us bands i've ever met in my entire life you guys always treat us like, you know, I don't know. You treat us so good when we're on the road up there. So thank you guys. Well, you know, we appreciate that. And, and we, we do take a lot of, um, a lot of pride in doing and hosting bands locally when we can at our houses or, um, you know, at least feeding people or, you know, doing whatever we can do. But the reality is, man, and you guys know this as well, you know, as well as we do. Um, it's just the reciprocation of what people have honored us with over the years, you know, and, and we know that if we were in San Diego or back east or whatever, you guys would put out phone calls to us and you'd have somewhere for us to stay. And we don't have those connections uh, back east, especially um, as strong as you guys do, clearly. So, uh, you know, I mean, that that is what is so beautiful about um, the music scene and, and groups at our level that are doing it for each other. Uh, but specifically the the reggae scene, you know, and, and just such a so many family bands and homies. And when we play together, we have a lot of collaborations and we know each other's songs and we're singing each other's music. And, you know, we know when the drops happen and, and it's just, you, you get looks on stage and off stage, like, Oh, that was dirty. You know, like you feel it. And that's a, that's a really special energy um, that uh, you just don't get from, from the common fan necessarily uh, because they don't live the musician life. And it's just an extra frosting on the cake when we're able to play with, with groups that we know uh, deeply like you guys. So it's, it's really a, an honor. And the least we can do is uh, put you up and, and get you some dinner. And shouts out to our ladies too, because all of them are super duper supportive of us hosting strangers in our houses. Uh, so big up to the ladies, of course. Absolutely. Yeah, you guys have made some great food for us like over the years. So. Oh yeah. Hey man, it's it's all the hey, it's all this guy. Magic Magic Mike is the real deal. The original <laughs> Magic Mike started as a chef, believe it or not, before dancing. This man is legit. Um and uh look, we uh, we we call it parking lot pasta when we're on the road because that's just road life, but this guy makes some gourmet whatever we're eating that night. So Magic yeah. Mike is the real deal. I believe it. I was going to say, it's kind of like one of my jobs in the band, a good duty of mine to make sure that like 
it's even funny now I do it even beyond Oregon where like, if I know an area or somebody needs something or like, like I try to make sure everybody has what they need and everybody's comfortable. Everybody's like taken care of. I, it's like mama, mama magic definitely gets thrown around sometimes in the bus. Cause it's like, I'm just trying to make sure that everybody's comfortable, taken care of, having a good time, well-fed. Uh, and then let's just like make some awesome times and memories. And yeah, that's yeah. awesome. That's amazing. Thank you guys. man. <laughs> it's a bummer sometimes when we talk it cuts out your mic so there's definitely been a couple times where i want to like create good space to hear all you guys talk because i definitely want this is this is about you guys i'm stoked to have you join us and, and hear your story yeah, man. thank you thanks for giving us that opportunity for sure yeah man so i was super curious kind of like what the is there a reggae scene uh in boston some of our favorite, sure. uh, some of our favorite bands, you know, growing up are from that area. Like the Northeast, definitely gave birth to some of our our favorite bands: Giant Panda, Ten Feet Gone, Plant, John Brown's Body. Like they're all, all all based in that kind of that corner of the country. So, like, you know, we as far as a scene with like you know a great like constant audience and places to play and all that, it's different, but with bands i think the, the stylistically it's some of our favorite music there's probably. great musicians there um for sure just like boston yeah and like kind of the uh new york upstate area you know western mass all of new england there just seems to be a lot of great musicians and yeah. tons of competition and inspiration and yeah it's a different i would say it's a different vibe scene wise like it's just a whole other, um, like one thing that's cool about the, the West coast and especially like Southern California is it's very like community based, you know, everyone kind of knows each other and it's, I feel like Boston tends to be a little more competitive. I don't know if it's the school thing or what it is, but it's just sort of feels a little more like, you know, uh, fighting for, I don't know, everyone's kind of fighting for a spot and all that. It's a little bit different, but not, you know, for the most part, we've had good experiences, but we also felt like where we grew up, like we were, we were like, if we don't, you know, go to the next level we are gonna be stuck in this loop sort of and we wanted to like take it to the next level and then when we go back to the east coast at home it's like that much bigger you know what i mean because yeah. we kind of proved it that we did what we wanted to do you know re-establishing home base right? yeah exactly Dude, hell yeah that's the hero's journey right there you guys are like making a story man i love it yeah we really like committed i mean like People say it all the time, like, oh, I wish we did this, I wish, like, our band moved and stuff. But, like, we literally just all packed our cars, didn't have jobs or a place to live. And we all, like, it, within the same week, we all made the drive to California. And uh, we got an Airbnb, a one-bedroom Airbnb <laughs> yes. for, like, three weeks. And we all, five of us, our bass player Sean was with us, too. So five of us lived there for three weeks, just like looking for jobs and uh, an apartment. And yeah, stuff it was like, like an orphanage. There was like a room with like a bunch of beds in a row, you know, like it yeah. was literally like that. It was hilarious. Yeah. It was like the Nash's basement, but like compact. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Shouts out to the Nash. And we were just like, oh my God, they have dispensaries. This is crazy. Yeah, it was my yeah. <laughs> Went to the dispensary every day to buy like $10 worth of something else to do. <laughs> Yeah. Well, that's awesome. And, and, you know, good new, you know, good thing you guys are used to living in a van, living in a bus on the road because living in a, a one bedroom cottage, uh, you know, it would be weird for most folks, but I'm sure you, <laughs> you guys are just rolling with the punches. I mean, it's no different, right? 
it was only like we a spent month, a month there and then we found a, a house where like the the property management was like cool enough to like they weren't even that cool because nobody had credit or anything so we literally offered them like five months up front for like a house rental and uh they took it basically so we all pitched yeah. in like a month rent wow we gave them like 10 g's up front to like <laughs> because nobody had jobs or credit yeah because we just we basically all saved all our money we were like we're gonna move to california like yeah. in a year or whatever and we all just worked our asses off saved our money and like just went for it and basically we're like that's the only way we're gonna get an apartment is like bribery basically like yeah. here's a bunch of fucking months of rent so we basically we looked at tons of places yeah they were all like oh well you don't have jobs and like yeah we're like, not yet yeah <laughs> <laughs> but we got a four bedroom house for the five of us and um we just made it work basically we lived there for two years and then we were kind of more settled into like day jobs and stuff so we were able to branch out and get some space and stuff which was nice because yeah. living together got stressful like all five of us every day and then being on the tour and coming back and just the same guys every day like, <laughs> yeah oh it's the know. same sometimes i'm like oh i can't wait to go to work <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Well, that's that kind of make or break because that either like tears you apart from your best friends or you guys just form a bond that's like unbreakable. Yeah, it was a little yeah. bit of both, but yeah, yeah it only yeah. formed a stronger bond. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, it's nice, you know, being in a band and, and sharing small quarters, it really is like you have your bad days and like that, there's that thing of like loving your homie even when they're in their worst fucking mood, you know, and you and you know them well enough to like understand what they're going through and kind of know what they need and just like yeah. give each other the space well put, well put. <laughs> so man like you guys like we've kind of tapped into uh have an incredible like roots reggae sound uh deep harmonies um and you spoke some on your inspirations of those styles of music um and that it was a side project for more of like a grunge band but i do want to still lead more into like what drove you into that more roots reggae style dub style um i'm sure it wasn't just the name which came first you know but <laughs> um well one of the first like really roots stuff we got into in high school we would just basically like smoke blunts to it like every day but like augustus pablo uh ital dub yeah. that that record we all listened to like Daily, and then Peter Tosh legalized it. Yeah, yeah. big youth record. And like, too, like and you, uh, there were some screaming, screaming target, target, yeah. target. Yeah, that it, was always on in the bunker. Yeah, yeah, there were some pretty good record stores like around us and stuff. And we just raid the reggae section, and it would always be like seventies Jamaican stuff. You know, like compilations with like King Tubby and Scientist and all that stuff, and like oh, yeah. Lee Perry. And you know, you'd come up on some good stuff for sure, like somewhat obscure, but like. Know, yeah. classic to us yeah the the mystery of it all always seemed really cool too because it's like different versions of songs you've heard and you're like trying to figure out what it is and who played on it and it's like this kind of crazy puzzle like roots reggae is like the most mysterious like genre especially trying to f figure out who did what you know it's always disguised with some band name and you can't yeah. even tell so like that whole thing was just fascinating and like so that that's part of it just the sound was like nothing else you know it, they they opened up the doors for us as far as like how weird reggae can get and reggae is so like universal we were playing like a lot of like hardcore punk and stuff before that 
which like isn't as universal. So it made a lot more sense to just focus on the other music that we like love. So we just dove into roots and just branched out from there. Yeah, it's a little more positive, <laughs> less yeah. like you know, like less exhausting. The punk scene is is fun for a little while, but it was like you know, it's a lot of like parties and straight like the shows. Intimidating. It's intimidating. It's intimidating. Yeah, <laughs> playing a reggae show is like everyone you meet super upbeat and positive, and you know, yeah, it's it's just a whole other vibe. So it's cool. Reggae is for everybody. So it's, yeah, reggae it's cool. can be a lot of things for sure. And what's fun about reggae too is if if the room calls for it, if the energy calls for it you double time and now you're playing ska, which is like a mellow punk and <laughs> you're kind of already there anyway. So you can, you can yeah. uproot it quickly as well. You know, you, you, you learn about all these connections, like, you know, the clash, like find out about reggae artists through them and all kinds of, it's like you find out how connected everything was. Bad brains. Yeah. Kind of the, the reggae rebel mentality kind of went hand in hand with the, yeah punk mentality i feel like some of the lyrics are like similar in a way like it's just really angry and like yep. you know rebel rebel music but it yeah. just sounds a little more palatable to people you can you can say some kind of intense shit over reggae and have it be like you know palatable because it just sounds so nice you know what i mean people will just be like all right yeah that's fine like you can yeah. you can put a big heavy message on a reggae group. bob marley yeah, yeah, yeah. Bob marley says some shit. yeah. Yeah, and two of my two of my personal favorite uh, reggae dub genre albums ever um, are Tim Om Tim Armstrong's uh, reggae album and uh, Bad Brains dub album. And Tim Armstrong, you know, from Rancid and, and Bad Brains, both of those are punk bands that had gotten to the reggae dub sector eventually. And they're two of my favorite albums ever. And uh, you guys have mentioned that you were kind of doing the Bad Brains you know, maybe covers or style or whatever. And them coming up in DC, a uh, huge political city, obviously, but, you know, Dave Grohl's talked about it a lot before he came out to Seattle with Nirvana and all that growing up in the DC scene and the punk and the angst out there. Um, and then you think of New York city and all the underground out there on the East coast as well. And it's just really interesting because you had mentioned it, John Brown's body and, and uh, you know, giant Panda um, thunder body as well as another band I love from out there it's a lot of similar sound. Um, and I certainly don't mean that. I think sometimes people take offense to that uh, because everyone wants to be original. It's just, it's cool that that area, the reggae scene has a sound. And in my opinion, it's probably my favorite sound of North American reggae scenes. The San Diego scene has a sound as well. Um, us up here, we call, we kind of call our style rainy day reggae because we're in the clouds. We're not in the sun all the time. So we're more like minor keys, you know, dubby stuff, darker things. And I think the Florida scene is very different, obviously. And I just think it's, it's really cool, um, to hear you guys, your, your influences, because you can, there's a lot going on in, in the new England area with all sorts of different genres. And for you guys to come out of it with the sound that you have, I just think is really awesome. Yeah, there is a lot of jam influence too. And we kind of were, we had some darker stuff too when we first started out. For sure. Yeah. A lot of like funk and jam music up there. So that was a big part of mm -hmm. our upbringing too. Yeah. I feel like the Southwest doesn't, I mean, especially San Diego and LA, like they don't go for the jam thing as much. Like the, you know, like Fish doesn't ever come here. Like, for example, I've seen them once since we moved here. Like, but yeah, it's funny. Like it's just a different, different 
it's great for a reggae band because it's love reggae here ain't get enough of it and then we do a lot of the old roots covers too so um which is also big down here so like a lot of like 60s and 70s like motown and stuff is is still huge in san diego i feel like too so so is that 70s older, older crowds will recognize good cow oh no i was just saying sometimes like old if we're playing you know we see some older older heads in the crowd Oh, yeah. You play something that they recognize. Drop a uh, Temptations cover. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, it's nice. I was I was curious, like um, we had talked about, you know, you guys raiding record stores and kind of finding those old gems that have been cast aside. Uh, we play a bunch of like Toots songs and Steel Pulse and things like that in our repertoire as well. Um, was the 70s, 70s style reggae more that that rootsy? style was that uh on purpose obviously you're influenced by it um but do you just start kind of jamming that because that's what you heard and it became comfortable so you stayed there uh ryan again at least again from what we hear from what you do currently you're being the lead singer is that a style that you're most comfortable singing uh do you guys just like the harmony style like is that something that you you went after or you just kind of fell into I would say yes to all of that. I think we kind of, we were listening to it a lot. So it was kind of natural. You know, it's like we, we were listening to tons of 70s and eight, early 80s, late 70s dub and reggae and fell, you know, basically just were listening to, listening to it all day. So when you come up with something, it's always going to be influenced by what you listen to. And it was just sort of natural progression. But like we did make a conscious choice early in the band that we wanted to basically be like, late 70s to early 80s like roots reggae style it was a conscious choice but then it was also natural because it was like all we were listening yeah, to it took a while to settle into it the first yeah. couple albums definitely didn't sound like 70s reggae right know? that's yeah. true yeah yeah um, uh, we worked with a producer uh that plays drums and also like produces and records and mixes the Ten Ganja Plant. Like he's in that band. Mm -hmm. So we met him at a show we played with the Itals. I gave him like our horrible CD that we had awful all the time. <laughs> and like a few, like a month or two later, he like messaged us and was like, you know, I hear potential in there. Like you guys should come and like record. I don't know how. Yeah. Know. Wow. That's hilarious. We were like, that would be great. Like, of course, as always, we were, you know, money's tough. So we were like, yeah, someday for sure. And he like replied, like, you know, it's a tight window. Like you should definitely do this. Yeah. He put the pressure on, which was good. And it was because we did a single with him and he taught us more like than we've ever learned musically yeah. ever. Yeah. He kind of like held our hand in understanding like what was actually happening in these songs that we love, like who's doing what, like who's not doing what. And yeah. like, basically like we follow that formula like but also you know it's us playing our music and uh i always kind of thought that like the fact that we used to play like punk and stuff maybe there's a little if there's like any heavy edge to our music it's probably with that in mind that like we once were playing this heavy ass shit like very like thrashy hardcore like that was Corey and i were in a very like 30 second songs one song got down from 45 seconds we'd recorded every album and it got down to what, like three seconds by the last single? Probably, Probably like seven or something. Yeah, seven it was, seconds. It's just like, bah, 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 bah. <laughs> it was 
just like <laughs> there's more chords in that than like a yeah. reggae song. Oh, yeah. Six so, <laughs> seven seconds. Yeah. Two parts. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I mean, yeah. Yeah. I think that that also, was fun though. That shit was, was fun, fun to play. but it got exhausting. Yeah. I mean, going back only, to what we were saying, you can only do that for so long. Andrew screamed like was the screamer. He was. Who was yeah. the hardcore singer? Oh, and then you was like, you played guitar, but like you di you didn't really play. You, you just have it just you would just have it just hanging there and just singing and like it became it was funny like it was different eras of the, of all these bands and like like I said it was just too many bands at once and yeah. reggae reggae was just like in all of our minds like this is like yeah. the way better option. <laughs> I was in like three different jam bands on yeah. the side. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Wait, what was the name of uh, I need at least one name. Slippery uh, people. Slippery people. Slippery yeah. people. Yeah. There was uh, <laughs> uh grains of paradise. Yeah, there it is. Yeah, I love so band names. We did all that all different kinds of stuff. I feel like what we didn't answer <laughs> Me too. That's so yeah, awesome. We, had, uh, we were in La Warm. Yeah, La Warm. <laughs> there was La There was Emodium, <laughs> Firing Squad. Me and Ryan's first band was Sumo Monkey Giants. <laughs> I just realized when one of when Corey and I were looking for a band name, Andrew suggested Bellyache as a band name. Bellyache. And he was like dying laughing, but he was like, no, you got to do it. And I realized that your band name at that time was Emodium, which is a belly medication, <laughs> a stomach medication. It was, <laughs> fire. It was fire. like with, an, with a O. That would be sick, yeah. like two bands touring together, <laughs> Bellyache and Emodium. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man, you would have to play in that order every night. Chili and stereo is the name of their first album. Chili and stereo. But, uh, <laughs> That's awesome. It's it's interesting that you mentioned that too, because you guys coming from kind of uh jam scene, uh thrash punk scene into 70s reggae. Um, and your first album, uh Avoid the Pier is is dub heavy. Um what you know, again, we're talking if we're talking like 70s reggae specifically, obviously dub is an element of that. Um, but a lot of it is kind of you know, rock steady, lovers rock. Where did the dub, the dub heavy influence come in on the first album? Because the the next two albums um, aren't aren't as dub heavy, obviously. Yeah, yeah. I think for for me, King Tubby was like the biggest thing. Like hearing what King Tubby did to the sound was just like, how can we do that? And scientists, those two like were early influences, like huge. Um, all that classic, just like hearing a version of a song that we knew and then hearing it all played, all screwed with, you yeah. know what I mean? We were into a lot of like <laughs> experimental like stuff. We would like trip out at practice and like practice for six yeah. hours straight, like playing like really weird shit. And uh, I think- we, our, We've been there. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So I think our music reflected it a little bit more so back then, obviously. We would be playing like two chords over each other and stuff like that. Like a lot of songs were just like, they kind of went out there and like on avoid the pier we did like some really weird recording techniques and yeah. stuff. i remember blowing a trumpet into a bathtub full yes. of water and like Whoa. we took a youtube clip of some lady giving birth in a tub 
and like we <laughs> used the sound and we put it like on the last track. Yeah, the last thing you hear on the album Avoid the Pier, if you go to the very end of the song Avoid the Pier, is like the sound of some woman giving birth on YouTube yeah. that we added in. It's really and subtle. Like, yeah, playing like, with the bathtub. It was recorded in my parents' basement and Sean's <laughs> parents' bathroom. Not the woman, not the woman giving birth. Yeah. Oh, oh. <laughs> no, but uh, and then because also, yeah, the, the trumpet, like we were just like trying to do basically like we grew up in this okay so we grew up in bridgewater which is there's this thing called the bridgewater triangle and it's like this you know notoriously haunted place if you look up the bridgewater triangle it's kind of like the bermuda triangle it's just a place that everyone talks about crazy stuff happening to them there like of all sorts like anything you can imagine like huge snakes and sasquatch monsters and it just looks like pterodactyls i know a few people who claim to have seen them <laughs> yeah so we were all like obsessed with that shit growing up like just hauntings and all this stuff and weird and then like we were like what if we just made really trippy kind of creepy music we were kind of just doing it naturally too and then we set up one day we just set up all these microphones in the room and brought everything in kyle's house that made a noise into the room and just like recorded 10 minutes of all these noises and like kind of edited it, it was down. fun then added was layers really fun. and more layers and then added that woman giving birth and the trumpet in the tub and all that shit and, and that's what avoid the pier the song is and then there's a clip of us playing live this like jam in the middle of it, it yeah it's so cool it, a 10 minute song you know and and uh i've listened to your guys music a bunch but kind of prepping for the show i was getting my ears fresh into your stuff and going from that album into the rest was it was a trip it was like two you know separate bands and i think we kind of feel similar yeah we don't play anything really from that album anymore but like personally i think speak for all of us but yeah we were kind of just we were into like all things psychedelic also kind of at the time and that's what it was attractive about dub to me was like it was like very psychedelic and uh we were also trying to pull, like, I still love that album for what we did, but we were trying to pull off something, some stuff that we heard that we had no experience playing. Yeah. So it came off like a lot more complex. Like we didn't realize that you can really simplify stuff and still have it be really psychedelic. Hmm. crazy. But like we were trying to do it in a kind Over of a tough, weird, yeah. complex kind of way. And we still like, I still appreciate that album for what it was, but we also started writing just really like, I feel like all of a sudden the songs started just flowing after that, like around the life, like in 2013 and 14, like all these songs just started happening. Like, cause we learned, like Andrew was saying earlier, we did a single with Craig Welsh from 10 foot and that was the heat and water single. And that song had a million parts and it was so complicated. And he, he was like, all right, pick one drum beat and one bass line and use that over the whole thing for all these chords. You can cut, use most of those chords, but we cut out all these parts and just like simplifying an idea into one groove was the thing. And then that helped us, inspired us to write a bunch of songs. And that's yeah. what, that's what producers do, which is so awesome. We had, we had never worked with, we worked with a Purdue, we did a grown deep, we did in our basement as well at home and Mikey mixed and mastered the whole thing. Um, Magic was like playing on a drum pad, not a drum kit. And it was, it was crazy. Um, and then family tree we did with kind of a homie in a studio locally, but it was still, you know, not, uh, I mean, bless his heart. We love the guy to death, but it was, it was still a great step for us, but not where we needed to be. And then we eventually did uh, the spark at Tracktown Records with this gentleman, Victor, who has been recording in South America uh, for like 25 years, reggae music. And 
he had magic playing 15 different snare drums, you know, two or three per song, different keys and all these things. It was pretty incredible to have his input on songs. Wow. Yeah. It makes a huge difference for sure. Yeah. An outside ear to us is like everything, you know, just. Yeah. Like we, um, we had our experimental days and it was a learning process. And then I feel like that experience of actually going to a real studio being produced. Yeah. Yeah. We, we kind of learned how to refine what we're trying to do. Like you can still get, you know, experimental, but you don't have to get, you don't have to get so weird that you make people uncomfortable. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, we also, to be real, we had to edit a lot on avoid the peer to get it to work because we what well, we tried this method of just recording so much stuff like record everything you can find and then we kind of like cut it down into like what works whereas like you know when you go to pay for a studio you're just gonna do what works and really build it strong instead of like all this like you know try everything and then delete it type mentality like you know yeah. it, it was, was it was very over mixed too for like yeah. probably two years or of mixing like type thing yeah, yeah. um Sean, our old bass player, had Pro Tools, and he he would bring his computer, like, wherever, and we would all hang out, and we would, like, mix, and, like, you know, we would have some beers, and, like, would get all really into, like, mixing this one song, and then you listen to it the next day, and you're like, oh, it sounds like shit, start over. Yeah. <laughs> Classic. And art, you, like, not everyone can just mix, I think it's, like... I don't know. And some songs are just so weird. You're like, I don't know how, you know, how are we going to make that work? You know, it's nice to have an outside ear. I, I love though that it's just like a fun memory now. Like, you remember that time we brought all that shit that made noise into the room and just like recorded it? Like, that's just being kids and like having fun and learning. And like, that's an awesome memory. Imitating like the Halloween music kind of like, I feel like we were going for like a Halloween's so like one of those songs you play out the window on Halloween, like, <laughs> creep out the neighbors. You know? yeah, yeah. And then it was kind of mixed with the the Live Dead, I, the, the idea of the album Live Dead, and like how early in the Grateful Dead's career they would mix like live recordings with studio stuff. Yeah, I think it sounds really cool when it's when it's done when it's done correctly. I think that idea is really awesome. And I want to, I mean, we want to talk to you guys about some road stories too, road stories and memories, and you know, you guys can bring up anything you want to. Um, but also like playing that style of music, playing dub live is hard um, to do it properly. If you don't have the full mixer on stage with you to do the live delays and the pedals and all that stuff, like you can't fake that stuff. And oftentimes bands try to replicate dub songs live and they just frankly can't because they don't have the same engineering. Um just curious if that was a challenge for you guys early on. And you said you don't play a lot of songs from that album anymore. Uh, so maybe that's not so much an issue uh, these days, but just kind of how was transferring that out of the studio dub heavy uh, on the stage when you started touring? We kind of improvise a lot, but in a different way. I think when we play live, especially back then, we did a lot of improvisation. So we would just do like, like different versions of things. I think a lot of the times and it would just morph since we play a lot together it would just take its own like the version we played live was never that close to the version especially back in the day it was always changing everything so listening a lot and like you know i like you have to listen to everyone's like i have to listen to Corey, and Corey has to listen 
and me and all that stuff. So when he drops out, I drop out and has to be very like coordinated. And a lot of times you have to talk about it beforehand, you know, improvising a full dynamic thing is tough. You know? Yeah. That's yeah. what we did basically until we toured like light flashes. Once light flashes was out and we had a light flashes tour to California and Colorado and stuff. We like tried to learn the dropouts like on that album. We tried to learn like every section and we kind of got into that. That's what we'd still do, like with Gold Fever, you know. We try to do like the dropouts that are on the album, and it's it. You can just train yourself to know it, but yeah. it's easier than improvising, like because we've yeah. never had a sound guy. We just have ourselves. <laughs> yeah, you can you can do a lot of like you know subtle dub work without it being like you no know, even going to drum and bass and having some cool sounds, you know, like that's it makes a big difference to an audience. You know, not every yeah. show is going to have that. So textures. Yeah. Just to give the audience some kind of dynamic where it comes down in energy or just more bass or whatever. Like nice. Yeah. And you know, with like roots and dub, it's like playing the space and that can be really trippy where it's like, what isn't being played sometimes is the most yeah, important. For sure. Uh, yeah, Sky brought up like road stories and stuff, and it just made me want to tangent into uh, you guys probably saw me perform on one of my hardest, uh, <laughs> hardest times. I was sick as could be. I was like down in the bus, laying down, and uh, I still perform that night. I don't know if you guys have ever tried to pull those kind of maneuvers, but uh, it just honestly, I wanted to bring it up back when we brought up Bellyache and Emodium, but uh. <laughs> sick as hell like at some point or another yeah no so like i wanted to thank you guys for the support because because you guys being there definitely made me uh still want to do it and you guys side stage yeah. like rooting me on uh definitely yeah, kept me alive still yeah. Killed it. yeah i don't i don't i feel like you, you absolutely killed it like you you could tell by looking at you that you weren't happy but you didn't say you sounded great i remember seeing you in the bus look pretty dead yeah <laughs> sure that, that was some of the worst uh, i've ever felt on the road and that was in talent oregon so that wasn't far from home but i just got super sick right at the end and yeah i remember some of you guys being like no dude like that was one of the best shows of the of the run but i was like sitting there like towel over my head like bucket next to the drums sometimes the shows that are like the toughest can be like really fun for the audience because like uh, one random examples i forget were we in florida i think it's florida where the power was going out like it, it went out and then it kept coming back on and going out but we were it, it was only during the two hollow notes songs that we played during the set right and it was Weird. like at the end towards like the intense part and then the power would go out and like just drums <laughs> it, it kind of made it sick like in a way it kind of sucked it at first but then like the power would pop back on and the audience would go nuts and like the drums kept going and we were kind of singing and like clapping and shit hoping that the power would come back on and then we finished the song and like it was it was kind of sick but like sometimes like weird mishaps can make the show in a funny way like you know just seeing you power through it was special you know what i mean well, and rolling with the punches is so important, like keeping the drums going or keeping the audience into it. It's the worst thing you can do is just stop, you know, and like be kind of uncomfortable. So, <laughs> yeah, I like I've seen bands like, like I, I won't even say who, but I, I saw someone singing and like that feedback feedback happened and they just stopped dead. Like it's that, you know, the end of the world. And they're just like, what the hell? Like make this huge deal about it. And like 
if you don't act like nothing's happening, the audience is going to not take you seriously. Well, and, and so much, so much of that just comes with, um, just comes with, you know, being on the road and, and having those things happen to you because, you know, when you're young and you're playing your first handful of shows and that happens and there's a full house, like you panic, there's nothing else you can do. You're just like, Oh shit, this is bad news. And you stop. Um, it's hard to play through it. And every band has had tough situations, but that's great that you guys have, have powered through. What's maybe uh, just an example or two of some of the biggest shows you've played, whether it's magnitude of the show, album release, local show, first one in San Diego, supporting somebody, um, opening for a bigger band, crowd size, whatever it is, big city you wanted to break into, however you think about it. What are maybe two or three of the, of the biggest shows uh, you guys have played along your along your journey so far? I think um, in Massachusetts, like our biggest shows at the time before we moved to Cali were like opening for Shaggy at Wilbur Theater and then also opening for Badfish, the Sublime cover band, like at Paradise. And they stuff. would bring a lot of people. Yeah. Yeah. yeah those were like bad. our biggest shows at the time. That, it was so nerve wracking because like the Paradise was kind of like a local legend yeah. in Boston and like just to uh, be that young and kind of play to to a full house it was so nerve-wracking yeah i would always lose my stick i'd be so sweaty i'd lose my sticks yeah one of of my favorite sets of all time though i think just because of the situation was uh we played long beach i mean we played uh one love festival in in long beach a few years back and our set got like kind of screwed up like the set time got kind of screwed up early we played like first and because of some issues at the door, like the our sets got screwed up, but the giant panda was supposed to play like later in the afternoon and they didn't make it. And they offered us that set time. Like they were like, you guys can play a second set. Cause our first set got kind of screwed up. Yeah. And it was like a way better set time too. It was like afternoon at a festival, like a pretty good size festival. And it was just like, you know, pretty victorious feeling. Cause it was like, at first you're like, shit, that sucked. Cause like not that many people saw our first set, you know? And then it all of a sudden just, totally redeemed by like a whole second set. It was awesome. Yeah. And we were also wicked stoked to see giant Panda at that festival. So we were bummed, but they had a snowstorm and couldn't make it. So we felt honored to take their slot. (laughs) Yeah. But uh, other than that, like, I mean, festivals are probably like the biggest one. Like love, obviously. I don't know. It's not a great show. Barrington, Barrington, Levy, Barrington, Levy, 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 Observatory, Observatory. Yeah. yeah, San Diego Observatory, sold out show. What was well, well, the one at the Wilbur Theater? That was that was Bad mm-hmm. Fish, right? Shaggy and Bad Fish, probably. Yeah, Wilbur yeah. Theater is a great venue in Boston. But yeah, I mean, festivals are awesome because I mean, it's just so oh, St. Pete too. Janice live and yeah. Saint yeah. Pete, with the Rise Roots. That was amazing show. Janice, That's a great venue. What a dope venue too, right? Yeah. I love the moments when you get like the other slot at, uh, you know, like the, the giant panda situation. It's like, you really got to step up to the plate. Cause all of a sudden you're like, and like you said, Kyle, like your palms start sweating right before you go on stage. You're like, all right, this is, this is a big audience right now. This is like the evening slot. But when you go into it, you play confidently and you come out the other end. It's like, you're only stronger afterwards. Yeah. I want to, I'll add in one, uh, one speaking of pushing through, you know, just hard times on stage. 
the first time we played with Mike Love was a set of a few shows in the Southeast. <clears throat> and, uh, you know, we've been huge fans for years and I'd worked really hard for a long time to get us onto that, uh, that run with them. And we show up, our first show was in Decatur, Georgia, which is outside of, uh, outside of Atlanta. And we show up and we go to meet Mike and he's very gracious. He's just, you know, one of the sweetest human beings ever, but he can barely talk. And we're like, that's weird. I don't, that doesn't really sound like him. We don't really talk. We all sound check. We do our thing, whatever. Well, he go, he goes through a show, does his thing, no problem. After the show, we're breaking down, loading each other's vehicles. We're helping him load out, whatever. And we start talking and he's just not talking, like literally no words. And I'm like, damn, he doesn't seem like the rude kind of guy. What the hell's going on? And his manager comes over to us and goes, oh, hey, guys, just FYI, like Mike lost his voice like four days ago and he's not going to talk to you at all. Like he can't talk. He's just singing because he's from Hawaii and now he's in Georgia and he's got to finish this tour. So don't egg him on, you know, and, and talk to him extra. So like, cool, no problem. You would not know. He started bringing it up because it was really brutal on his voice that he was telling the crowd. He was like apologizing almost. But if you've ever seen Mike Love perform, he's one of the most passionate artists I've ever seen in my life. Everything he does. And his singing was spot on, but he couldn't even talk to the crowd in between songs. And it was one of the most inspiring moments I've ever seen in music at all. And we're just sitting there side stage like this dude is a true lion making it happen. And it was just incredible. So shouts out to all the artists and the people pushing through hard times um, because, man, it's it's not as easy as it looks nine times out of ten. Yeah, Mike Love just headlined the festival we played this weekend too. Yeah, let's uh, quickly talk about that. And then we have a we have a couple more points that we'd like to get through you guys uh, before we get out of here. And again, we super appreciate you guys' time uh, finally joining up. We've been trying to do this with you for quite a while. Um, so you know, I don't want to get into quarantine COVID stuff uh, too much unless you guys want to bring it up for personal reasons. Whatever you're welcome to. But um, <laughs> all bands have been shut down for at least a year. Uh, the Southeast has opened up. The South has opened up. East Coast has opened up a little bit. California and Arizona a little bit. Up in the Pacific Northwest, we are locked down still. Uh, you know, it's 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 springtime. No shows on the horizon. Uh, you guys just played, though, in Arizona recently. Um, how was it to get back out on stage? How was the feel? How were maybe the, the protocols of playing that show? Were you comfortable doing it? Was the crowd receptive? Uh, just take us through that show really quickly. It's the first time in what a year and a half almost, right? That you've played a show. Yeah, it's been like a year and a couple months. The last show before that was Arizona Roots, so it was in you know Phoenix as well. But uh, the show felt like amazing. I mean, like I said, like we practice every week anyway, so we we play all the time. But playing to like a crowd of you know maybe like four or five hundred people or something like that, and they were like completely into it. Like they were there for the music. The energy was like really good um personally like we might have been like maybe a little nervous to kind of make our debut again because it had been so long and with andrew on bass now like it was the first time kind of uh revealing like this four-piece thing we've been doing but uh the set went amazing the crowd like loved it so it felt really good for sure uh the festival itself was really laid back too uh, it was in buckeye arizona but everyone was smoking weed and uh, there was, you know, a couple bars. Everybody was having fun for sure. <laughs> yeah, it was a good time. We just went for the day. Um, 
we couldn't go for all three days, unfortunately. There was a, there was some X I would have loved to see, but it was a great time. Yeah, the Arizona family is like really tight for us. Like we we have a lot of really strong fans over there. So people- I, I feel. I feel like people are so hungry to go see a show now too. So it's like, you just get that, like people are just amped up to see you guys play. Definitely. Yeah. It was a, one of my favorite, um, I mean, obviously it's been a while, so it just felt really good, but it was one of, it was one of my favorite recent you know, show memories from even the last few years. Just, it was super fun and you know, felt really good. I was glad to be well rehearsed because I feel like, the nerves would have gotten the best of me. You know what I mean? We were like, yeah. we like drilled some stuff before this. Like we had some stuff we wanted to try and some new material and some new, you know, things. And we really like got we practiced that set for like a month or more. Yeah. Good for you. That's awesome. So good. Smart. For sure. Another. Oh, great. <laughs> it was fun. I like realized how much like how like every note mattered it it's matters so much more yep. like when you're playing live than like when you're practicing it's easier to hit it right practicing than when you're on the stage it's crazy like the way the time moves and the way you're thinking about it and just the speed that like you react to play the note everything's just very like bass is tiring bass is what i feel i feel it like it's pretty exhausting to that like to to stay at that tempo if a song's really fast or like mm-hmm. uh, it or hurts. really slow yeah mm-hmm. and then calluses like the calluses are intense bass bass stuff for sure and it singing is. while playing bass big yeah. up benny no, <laughs> but playing bass and singing is tough yeah everyone sure. everyone's everyone has a problem with that cheekies does it he always talks about how difficult it is yeah james Sir, panda yeah, oh, his bass lines are amazing at that <laughs> i feel like he writes his bass lines to interlock with his vocals so well mm-hmm. that like it's built for that. You know what I mean? Like he did it, he wrote it that way. So, but it's still like, I don't know how he does it. Cause like you said, every note's so important on the bass. If you screw it up, like the audience feels bass screw ups way more, you know, like it just seems like if you, especially in reggae, it's the lead instrument half the time. So you gotta, it's gotta be solid. Andrew killed it though. On that. Nice bud. Dude, I've, I've heard people, you know, people come to me and say like, oh, playing drums and singing or rapping is like the hardest. And I'm often like, dude, I don't know. I think bass, like syncopated rhythms and like how the vocals kind of fall off or fall on. Like, I think that's way harder. So, so props. Yeah. But <laughs> singing and playing anything is amazing to me. Sure. You know, what's the toughest Boy, though? singing and playing didgeridoo at the same time is really hard. It's it's really hard, I promise. Yeah, the tone is just not the same. You know what I mean? Like it's gonna screw with your tone up. <laughs> oh, and even you know, saying Andrew, like the playing in the practice room is way easier. It's like when you're on stage, there's so much more information your brain is going through and yeah like how time moves and and things that are catching your eye or just like thoughts that are running through your head about the sound or whatever it may be it's like so much more going on and if you like suddenly lose your place or something you know there's no like hey where are we at? like they, you know i didn't happen to me at this last show but there have been shows where like suddenly i'm like wait a second first or the first verse, oh. and then it's like oh no like, it happens no. all the time vortex I lost it. No, we played played five verses because I don't know where I am. There, there has been uh, too many instances <laughs> with us on stage, especially we don't play a song for a while, and 
I don't know, you don't have a song in your set for the tour or whatever, and you're in a city you play often, people know your music, and they're like, play, you know, play this one. And you're like, all right, it's been a while. And then you do it. And we kind of, you know, you guys feel it too. I know you do, but you have that that connection after 10 years where you can look across stage and just know, like, I can look at Magic knowing his verse is coming up. And by the the look in his eye, I can tell if he knows what the lyrics are or not. And if he doesn't, then I might jump in on the mic and like start the verse. And then he comes in because all you need to know is the first couple words. Once you get the first couple words, you're good. Uh, but we have that look of like, bro, I'm I, it's out. I don't have it. I don't have it. I don't have it. <laughs> uh, but thankfully, we have so many of us that can jump in and save the day if you need to. But I have been there, unfortunately. Yeah, yeah it's a scary thing. <laughs> Especially if you have, you know, when you're trying to keep a certain, a good amount of songs in your head. That's why it's nice to have, like, I mean, we used to have, we used to just not prepare a lot of times back in the day, too. We would just write sets as we went or we'd call out songs as we go. And, like, that can be really cool if it's done right. But, like, if it's not done right, it's really not cool. You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> and like working out a set like we have been doing for the past you know like four years or whatever working out a set and like transitions for like new transitions like every time and stuff it keeps it more interesting for us and obviously for the crowd too to hear something cool like or hear a song like a different way I think. yeah we called out songs forever and then it was like there's way too much blank space between songs it's like you're looking at each other and trying to like or or, yeah. you know, like the worst possibility is you're like, you suggest a song and someone's like, nah. And then <laughs> it's like, all right, sick. Well, what are we going to play then? So, so we have, we basically have a rule that like, you know, sometimes you play those nights where like, you're not playing an hour, you're playing like three hours, you're covering the whole thing. So you're playing the covers and whatever. And we'll have a set for the first one, two, and the final like eight songs. Sometimes we're just like, look, like if we've been here before, what do you guys want to hear? What haven't we played yet? Like, Shout out a group if we know one of their songs will play and we kind of have fun with that. But basically, we established a rule years ago that was straight up. Like, if I say, hey, guys, let's play this one and Magic goes, now nah, I'm not feeling it. You can't say no unless you have an immediate filler to be like, nah, but how about this one? And if you come back with it, then it's almost like, all right let's just play that one and move on. You can't say no. And then everyone's like, well, 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 cause you're right. That's a, it's super unprofessional. And look, when you're in a bar kicking it for four hours with people, they don't care. And it's fine. But when you're on a bigger stage and you're in a more established position, that is a no go. And you can tell with you guys that you're well rehearsed. You're very clean. You all are on the same page and it comes across in the music and the flow of the show which we didn't, I don't, I don't think we understood the magnitude of the flow of the show for a very long time. Um, and that was just being raw musicians for a long time, you know, and not having somebody outside the band coaching us. It was just learning on the fly. And you can tell with you guys that it's, it's clean, it's polished. You know what you're going to play, you play it. Um, and it just, it flows really well. You're, it's really, it's a, it's a tight set and it's, nice to listen to and it's easy to watch because you guys are you know constantly moving there's no dead dead air you know and if there is it's on time to get a drink say what's up to the crowd rep merch whatever it's on purpose to take a break it's not a oh shit i got nothing to do here so somebody say something to the crowd because people feed off that quickly we started to see like certain bands like there's this really heavy vibe when a band's like really in control and also just really knows exactly what's happening. Like, absolutely. We saw, I mean, the agri lights are great about that too. Like they're like really, 
you know, they look like everything's super clean. Like they're all wearing like kind of, the, it's like a, not a uniform, but they all look like they're in the same band. Like everything looks right. It's super, the t- set list super tight. Everyone obviously knows what song is next. Cause like it starts without any conversation and all that shit's just, you know, it hit us really hard. Like seeing that live, I think like seeing certain bands that really took control. It was like, that's what we want to do. We saw John Brown's body um, at the house of blues and we were like on mushrooms and it was on unreal to see how they were so in control of the audience and so so in control of the show and like the the set was like absolutely flawless and like hearing elliot would sing into like they'd end a song and he would start he would change keys and sing in the next song without anyone playing and like it just like he would set the tone for the next song and like and it was just this constant flow, like you said, it just doesn't stop. Like yep. that's what I want. Ground Groundation um is one of my favorite bands ever. And they their show is like that. Harrison 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 controls the entire room and controls the band, but they are so dialed in after 20 years that they, you know, there is no blank space for an hour and a half set, first of all, but they almost don't break sound at all. They just have a they have an intro and an outro to every single song throughout the show. So there's just two hours of music straight, but it doesn't sound like a, like a, like a blob. Like it's not, you know, it, it's very clean, but it just waves it out. And Dave Matthews band is another band that notoriously plays three hours straight, basically without breaking sound. And they're so good at coming in and out of jams, transitioning, transitioning songs, playing one song, breaking into another one, and then going back to the original song, which I know is a big part of the jam scene. And when bands are well-rehearsed and connected on stage, man, it just, it, it's almost beyond the music at that point. Like, that's a show. That's the difference between going to see a band play music and going to see a show is how the band produces the music to you. And that is something we've been trying to grow into over the years. Yep. Yeah, it's all like, I feel like it builds up over time. It's like these little tiny things. You're like, oh, that little tiny thing worked. That little thing worked. And sometimes you'll spend like four hours on something at practice and then like two people notice it out of the, you know, 100 people or whatever that are there. And like, and I don't even think that matters. I think the two people that noticed it are like, that's sick. That like, you, I think a, li- a bunch of little things build up over time. Like, as you guys probably know, and like transitions and then how to kind of fill the void when there's awkwardness or anything like that. Like, yeah, we've, we, we try to work on that for sure. And it, it gets more comfortable as the time goes on. Yeah. I think um, part of that was like touring with uh, bands that, we're a lot tighter than us um kind of seeing seeing that like how how well you can orchestrate a show yeah and it's it's something that we paid more and more attention to as time went on for sure i think arise roots was probably the first band that we toured with that like had like a set for the tour and we just noticed like every night that it was just like sick like it was so dialed in at the time we we used to tour with like four set lists for a tour and we would like switch it out depending on how we feel but uh you know eventually we just learned like if you really just dial in one like it's good (laughs) which i think i and probably not just me but i was definitely resistant to that at first too because it's like you feel like it's going to take spontaneity out but like there's something way more powerful about a show that's well planned you know yes it hits harder yeah, it's a show, like you were saying. It's not yeah. just like playing music. It's like a whole show that's like orchestrated. 
yeah, like, that. <laughs> if you go to a Broadway show, they're not improvising the lines. Like, it's not different every night. It's Romeo and Juliet, like, every night. <laughs> so it's, like, to have something really tight, if that works, it's going to work. And, like, you could even see it a few nights in a row. Like, like we were saying with the Rise Roots, like, I would watch that, that set every night, and it would blow my mind every night. Those transitions, like, oh, shit, that's so good. Like, yeah. every time, it doesn't really get old, like, you can see a band three, five nights in a row and like see that. I still sense. have those transitions in my head. Actually. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and you like wait for it. It's almost better the second time. It's like yeah. seeing a movie, you like, you're like, oh, this is that part. Yeah. And you start to learn from it more because you're starting to understand actually what they're doing. Yes. You know? Now you're like, oh, okay. So that's going into that. Wow. That's clever. Like we could do that with like. Right. Yeah. We steal a lot of ideas. <laughs> but you wouldn't even know, obviously, because it has nothing to do with. Like, it's just, it's our sound, you know? Or we've, uh, we've heard cool, like, listening to live reggae uh, recordings from, like, the 80s, 70s, whatever. Like, we've also heard some cool transitions, and we've kind of uh, tried to emulate some yeah, of those. adapted some of them for yeah. ourselves. You guys, open, you guys open with a flash, too, don't you? Uh, that was just for that tour. We oh, okay. Well, that's what we that's what we saw. And we've been talking about that for years and doing the kind of a mix up of your own songs. Just you know, what is it, uh, eight oh. bars or so of a bunch of dude. When that is done properly, it. I mean, that's like Steel Pulse one hundred and one, right? But when it's yeah. done properly, it's yeah. literally, <laughs> it's literally like, I hear that for for three minutes to open the show. That could be it for me. Like when that's done properly, it's so clean. I get a taste of each of the songs that's going to go down for the night. Um, I absolutely love that done properly. I forgot. I think we all forgot that we did that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. That's so funny because I, dude, that's like one of the things I remember the most about that run with you guys is the is the nightly the nightly flash. It was like my and you're right. It's like the movie. I know it's coming. I'm waiting all day for it, and there it is, and I'm so pumped on it. It was great. Nice. We should try that again sometime. You yeah. should. It's stellar. It also, like, even just for us, like, you know, in the smallest way, it's like a little warm up because you're like, the hardest thing you're going to do all night is that first moment where absolutely you're just changing for like three minutes straight. Like, that's, it's almost like a good, and then you chill into that first song way more because it's like, now we're grooving. Like, I kind of like, I kind of like it too because it's a teaser to the crowd. Like, you know, somebody hears like the chords or the chorus of one of the ones that they like. They're like, oh, here it comes. And then you take it away from them. It's only like, oh, shit. Like, but then, you know, 20 minutes later, you actually play the song and it almost like doubles back on it. You know, it feels good. It's like, oh, okay, they didn't forget about me, you know? And it's a precursor of the show. Like, I absolutely love them. And they have to be done right, but you guys crushed it. It was one of my favorite parts of our run together. It's nice. definitely something that, like, I, I feel like only happens like classic reggae because you don't hear that at like rock shows or anything. Nobody knows that. I was going to say, it totally reminds me of like a, a OG toaster. When you're watching like a Jamaican DJ, he'll play like, and they'll usually have the vocalists there. And it's like, they'll sing a chorus, like, like rewind, next song. It's the chorus. It's like all the parts that you know. And then it like cuts into the next song. And, and uh, yeah, so I feel like it's also an awesome like throwback tribute to, to Jamaican DJs. Exactly. Yeah, it, it sets the tone too. Like when you see a band like do that first, it's like, oh, they're going to be really tight. Like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's really well planned. They practiced this. Because <laughs> imagine you do that perfectly and then the rest of the night sloppy and like sloppy as hell. Like, you know, <laughs> Yeah, once you, yeah, it could definitely. We've done it. You've probably seen it at a best show. Yeah. You guys have probably seen it, but you know. But uh, 
yeah, you it, well, it kind of sets the tone. It's like, all right, that's what level we're we're at for this for this set, you know. Yeah, I feel like the only way it gets sloppier from there is if there's like a bottle of liquor on the stage. That's when you know it's like halfway through the set, the band's sloppy. <laughs> Bar at a party or something. Oh, oh yeah. yeah. Yeah, those are some of the sloppiest shows we've ever played. It's just playing parties where there's unlimited booze and stuff. Yeah, I definitely learned early on how to like hold yourself uh, like to a limit because it's really easy when there's like a open keg like next to the stage and it's like you have hours before you play. It's like (laughs) it's one thing to catch a buzz after you start the show and you're like playing, you're already in the flow. But if you go on stage with a solid buzz, it's so hard to come back and like be tight at all. It's like you're in slow motion, like trying to catch up to the band. Like, yeah. oh shit! Outside <laughs> the private gigs, I feel like we've always been pretty good at that. Like, yeah. we've always tried to keep it professional and not be like fucked up on stage, especially more recently. Yeah, it's important. Yeah, that's a, that's a growing thing. You definitely yeah. learn. Like early on, you're like free beer. Like, yes, <laughs> but then you're like, okay, we got a job to do. The, the beers will still be in there. Touring, <laughs> like you can't do that every night. You can't just be raging for eight hours. You shouldn't be. <laughs> yeah, I mean, honestly, the worst the worst part about it for me is like I'm sure you know Magic. Like I think we talked about it a couple times, but when like Pissing. yeah, when you get a piss, <laughs> when you get a piss, and you're playing drums and it's like your knees are coming up. And oh. And taking, like, a, and taking a piss break in a show is oh. the worst thing oh. you can do, you know? All of a sudden, I got to tell a joke, and I'm not funny, so <laughs> <Yeah>. it's like... <laughs> yeah, we were really lucky. I would always be like, because <laughs> this has happened, uh, and I would look Sky, at Sky. play Didge. 20 yeah, minutes, play, go. <laughs> like, say something, then play Didge. I'll be right back. <laughs> like because uh, yeah that is a that's a tough one when you're sitting it on your bladder. it happens man you know and, and for the listeners kind of like what the hell are you guys talking about look you know we're on stage for for you know three hours sometimes with yeah a break or two but the reality is i mean like you got to go you got to go and there's five of us six of us on stage i mean you don't always have the same schedule or whatever you know what i mean and like and and honestly we just realized like look if it's a big time show if it's a big stage you're not going. That's just how it is. Uh, you got a 45 minute set anyway, hold it and get out of there. If it, you know, if, if you're in a club one night, it's a Wednesday night, you're jamming. It's, you know, whatever you're vibing, honestly, dude, like I got to go, man, it's going to be way better if I'm comfortable. So I'll be right back. You guys cover up and I'll, and I'll, I'll be there, you know, and uh, <laughs> it is part of the, part of the business, unfortunately, but um, that's funny, man. Yeah. The drummer position. Yikes. I was always jealous of Kenny. Cause he would just jump off stage and like, yeah, the later, drummer guys. definitely does have the hardest job. It's like you, you gotta hold it down. If the drums aren't there, Ryan's telling a joke, you know. <laughs> and you don't want that. Especially when you overindulge in that you know, it's just a disaster. Oh man, I just I don't know why I thought of this, but like one time we were playing in Salem, Massachusetts, and we went out for a smoke break in between sets. We came back down and these two guys were playing our equipment. This one dude was playing the drums. This other guy was playing my keyboard. He had the by design like keyboard synth setting on because that was the last song we had played. And like he was jamming and they were just jamming like and no one in the bar stopped them. Like it was just there was like people watching like it was supposed to be happening. It was just like what it was yeah. so weird. Yeah, like, let this a happen. couple of people were like up dancing already. <laughs> and I'm like, who the hell is playing? Who's this guy? Like what the we, hell? We like look like dicks but we're walking in just like all right get out of here yeah 
it sucks when there's an audience to watch those moments of you have to regulate like all right like get off my equipment yeah <laughs> or, <laughs> or a guy that wanders on stage yeah, and starts like grabbing stuff one yeah, time uh, like, fuck out of here. yeah one time we played and we were playing an instrumental we're playing iron paw instrumental tune and this crazy drunk like older guy hops on the stage and he grabs the mic because i'm not singing because it's instrumental yeah. and he starts saying like I don't know what he meant, but he was saying goodbye to the world. Like he was like saying goodbye yeah. to everyone. And like while we're playing <laughs> Iron Ball, which is like the super upbeat, like rock stick, fucking happy ass song. And he's like, goodbye. And like saying all this crazy dark shit. And then he yeah. kind of like, it, you know, took again, no one, no one from the bar like stopped him. Like it was just like, yeah, this has to happen. Yeah. You know? It took a couple minutes for somebody to get him out of there, but it sucks when that happens. It sucks because you don't want to be the dick that's like, all right, get out of here. But like, you know, you got to, you know, if this is a show. Yeah. This is not part of it. Yeah. When the club doesn't have security and you have to run your own security, it gets a little tricky sometimes. Yeah. Actually, speaking of, of that, the festival we just played. Kareem from Arise Roots was doing a solo set with uh, Chris Brennan playing guitar. And I just heard about this from some of the Arizona people, but they invited someone, uh, they asked if somebody wanted to play a drum for a song and somebody hopped on stage to play like a Bob Marley cover on a percussion. But it was somebody that has never played music. They were just drunk and trying to party. And then they lingered throughout his whole set. They never oh, left the stage and he wasn't a dick to kick him off. And there was no security at the festival. So there was some chick that's never played music playing a bongo throughout Kareem's set. Man. Yeah. I heard about that the other day. I was like, damn, that sucks. Yeah, we've we've had a few situations. Kareem is is the ultimate homie. So it doesn't surprise me that it didn't make a move. But like the reality is I I've had so many people ask to play the didgeridoo. People ask Kenny to play his guitar. We've had stuff on the microphone constantly. Yeah. And it's tough because you know, like one out of fifty is actually an incredible musician you're down to jam with and has some awesome spont spontaneous jam. Most of the time, though, dude, it's just kind of like, all right, guys, you did your thing. It's time to go. And frankly, again, and maybe this is me just, you know, growing up and being grumpy, but I'm I'm more than happy these days to kind of like, thanks, dude. Like, time to go. Like, it's time to go. Thanks. Turn the mic off. Escort you off stage, you know, mm -hmm. and, and that's where it's nice to have a band manager. I'll, you know, I'll tell you what, because if, if you can do it without a band member doing that, yeah. Uh, it's a little bit better of a look, but the reality is, man, I am that guy and I'm more than happy to do it. I'm also, I also take zero, um, I have zero, uh, uh, you know, flack with people in the front row, especially like dudes uh, coming up onto ladies and dancing or something like that and, and clearly getting, pa you know, past where they're supposed to be or, or you know, going beyond uh, having consent and things like you can see that from the stage. Right. And sometimes I get a look from somebody that looks at me like, dude, I'm stuck. What the hell am I going to do? And I've literally left stage a few times mid song and gone into the crowd and been like, bro, you need to bounce right now or we're going to shut it down. And it's an uncomfortable place to be, but at some level, dude, like you're a human first, you know, and the show's not going to be as appropriate as you want it to be if you're not in the right element. So it's a, it's a strange, <laughs> strange world that we live when we have many hats like that. And it's obviously not common, but it does happen from time to time. Yeah. Yeah. Yo, let me transition a little. I'm, I'm curious, uh, go back to like the origins, the beginning of you guys. Uh, 
What about the name? I know I've heard a lot of people say it, maybe Ron or just differently than, than you guys intend. You know, there's like different inflections. Uh, people ask you like, is it dub best? Is it dubbest? Is it, you know, but uh, I want to hear your guys' story about like the origin of finding that name and, and, uh, and owning it. <laughs> I know we were like, <clears throat> the actual name got thought of because we were, uh, drinking together, you know, 18 or 19 years old, having some beers and like joking around and we needed a band name. Like, you know, you're in, everyone's been in that band. That's like eternally needs a name. Like you just never have a good name. So we were kind of in that zone for a while. And I was, and I was just thinking like, I imagine a band called the best. Like, I'm pretty sure I said, like, imagine a band called the best, like how douchey is that? Like that's, <laughs> you can't even be any more confident than that. Then call yourself the best. And, uh, and then I think Andrew said, what about Dubest? And then we were just like, well, that's yeah. kind of sick. So <laughs> it sounded cool. It kind of rolls off the tongue, especially being from Boston. It just sounded cool. Like the best. Yeah. That's what we all that's, said. That's but. how someone would say the best. They'd yeah. be like, oh, it was the best fucking sub. <laughs> it was the best. Yeah. And, and well, and it fits the style, right? I mean, like it works out. It's a play on words almost too. And it, I thought, I think it's very creative and it works out. And yeah. like, you also like, it's hard to find a name that's short that isn't taken. And like, it, you know, like you don't like, I like, I, I don't know. It's hard to find a short name. You don't want a long ass name necessarily if you, if you want it to be catchy. So like one Except word. Panda. Yeah, but like, <laughs> it's, it's true. You can just call them, can call them Panda. I know. You know. And there are some good bands with long names. It's just, I think it's easier to brand and like, it's easier to get your name across when it's not this long yeah. explanation. One strong word. Yeah. Sounds cool. We all, we all really liked the name. Like we've never had any issues personally, but we've definitely had talks with like uh, reggae manage, managers and stuff who have tried to convince us to change our name because of like pronunciation issues or whatever. Sure. At the end of the day, we just didn't care. Like if yeah. this is dumbest, I don't care, dude. Like I'm just glad somebody's saying it, you know? Well, it's cool too how dubbest still even works for you guys. Like as far as like the interest and the inspiration, it's like, and it helps a lot that you guys aren't like pompous assholes. Like you guys are like super humble and awesome. So you don't walk into a room and everybody's like, oh, the best is here. You know, it's like you guys are just homies and, and you play fucking good reggae. And I love the name. I love also how it lends itself to branding, you know, like one solid word and like the ways that you can play with font and stuff. It's like it, it's it's it looks good and it works well for you guys. Yeah, we've we've had to humble ourselves over the years, though. I think the name fit our personalities a lot more. At a yeah, I, was gonna say in, I think we grew into it more, like in a better way. You know, like we're more mature than we were when we came up with it. You know what I mean? I don't think we would come up with that name today because people would be like, "Oh, like you know, that's a dumb name. Like it sounds cocky. Like even like uh, I've had like family members say that like back in the day, and I'd be like, okay, like we are the best." You know? <laughs> <laughs> We were so far. We were the. And worst. we were so bad. We were yeah. the worst. We're just telling the truth. I mean, we're just telling the truth. Like what the fuck? Yeah, honestly, we're like probably <laughs> every time we used to type the best in anything, it would try to correct it to dumbest. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you would not. Like, it would just say dumbest every time. <laughs> World's dumbest. We almost yeah. changed our name to dumbest. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, we have a we have a really great brother band out here, um, based out of Portland, uh, and they are called World's Finest. 
And um, we had a similar kind of thought. We've we've known them before that particular band. We've known a lot of those guys from previous groups growing up out here in the Northwest, but they formed the world's finest. And we thought about it internally. We're like, like world's like world's finest. That's quite the claim, you know? And um, it was interesting, but I mean, frankly, nobody really cares anymore 10 years later. And they are damn good. I mean, you know, nobody's the world's finest, right? That's all perspective, but they're very good. Um, they're also not pompous assholes. And I think it's just an interesting way to go about that. Like band names are so they can really define you um, one way or another, but I think the defining comes from how you receive it, uh, the reaction to it. Right. And, and as you said, you guys came up with a band name in 2009 that, 12 years later is your identity, whether you even feel that way or identify yourselves as that anymore, doesn't matter. Cause guess what? You are that for the rest of your career as this band. So I think it's really interesting. Band names are, are always so fun, um, interesting to me. By the time people told us like, Hey, you should change your name. We felt like it was a little too late. Yeah. We were like five years in yeah. by the time somebody told us it's not a good name. <laughs> And, like, we hadn't even really considered it. And, like, I mean, personally, I was, like, sometimes I'd be, like, eh, maybe we should change it. But, like. Yeah, change it to what, though? Yeah. Like, we were just like then like, we got to pick a name, which sucks. Yeah. Like, <laughs> you, would, you would have to have something that felt far beyond what you already have. And then, like, you're starting over. Like, you will all of a sudden have to get all of your fan base to be, like, oh, and now, now we're this, you know. So yeah. I think you guys made the right choice. I like it. And it's kind of like a, a little bit of a reminder to us of why we did it originally. Like we we're super into just like old school dub and shit. So like, in a way, like we're, we haven't like, you know, done any, made any big actions yet, but we're trying to like put out more dub versions of our music because I think that's part of what we got into this for. Good idea. So it's also a reminder to us, like, this is why we did it. So we're, you know, we're talking about putting out some dub, some dubs of our shit more I love the dubs you guys have released, by the way. Yeah, thank you, man. That's just such a, it's such a cool genre. It's like nothing else, you know? Um, so a hard transition here, but I just wanted to jump into this because like we talked about quarantine a little bit, you know, music didn't happen for a year and multiple months. Uh, we all have to stay afloat. I'm kind of curious, like, you know, you guys are four individuals who made a band, so you're still individuals. I'm, I'm, I like to know, like, what are your interests outside of music? Like, what have you guys done for work? How have you stayed afloat? Um, and like, what are your hobbies? Good question. Uh, <laughs> no, um, <laughs> very well. We're still trying to figure that out. No, no I mean, <laughs> I like, like, me and my girlfriend like to try to travel and do outdoorsy type stuff as much as possible. I like going and uh, I like video games and uh, I don't know. <laughs> oh yeah, man. No, same. Smoking blunts and playing video games, going on hikes. It's like watching yeah. funny movies and getting high. Yeah, movies. Like... <laughs> I, I watch uh, I watch The Sopranos like every, like yeah. I just restart every year. And I just no, <laughs> like a couple times a year, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> the I feel like we've always had trouble answering that question. Like people will be like, what do you guys do outside of this? And we're just like, none of your business. <laughs> yeah, that's fair. Yeah, yeah I mean, music is a full-time passion for me. Like I, yeah, I spend a lot of time like just reading about bands and listening to 
artists and yeah. yeah. So it's really the only hobby like yeah. we've ever had. Yeah. Really. Like skateboarding when we were younger, but yeah. like now I'm afraid to break music. my hands. Yeah. <laughs> Music is just a thing. Like it's just uh, you guys know it's, it's a lifestyle. It's in your blood. It's in your every every breath. <laughs> <laughs> Nerding out on uh, like who played what on yeah, what and finding, all that shit is finding different artists just by the musicians that are in the bands that are in, you know they share yeah. different musicians or whatever. All of a sudden you're like yeah. finding all this the reggae family tree that you yeah can really soul pick music. All that shit. There's so going on a Wikipedia adventure where you just who sampled <laughs> Yeah. Oh man, live. There's some really good like live roots uh, shows on YouTube. Like there's this one Ital show that we all have watched uh, together. We've probably watched it like hundreds of times. It's like just epic. Like I don't know. There's certain like just studying how bands crush it on stage. Like how are they getting up there and making this so powerful? Like that kind of shit. You know. So. Our hobbies are kind of music nerdy. I feel like we're all. I used to spend a lot of time and money seeing fish. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. We, <laughs> we we all saw fish tons on the <laughs> northeast because they were always playing. But now we, I think we all pretty much just try to uh, work outside of music. Like yeah. when we're not doing music stuff, I think we're pretty much all just trying to like stay afloat and just get ahead. Trying to pay the like bills. in our jobs, <laughs> just like mm-hmm. yeah, exactly, surviving surviving is our hobby that's that's what that's what it is man and and all of us all of us have side hustles side hobbies um you know magic's big into glass blowing uh and we talked about his love and uh uh ability to uh, handle food and chef um i'm a big sports nerd i run a couple of sports podcasts on the side with this as well all the guys have different things so it's kind of cool to have your own individual thing. And that way, when you come together, the music is the thing you all do together. And honestly, like before quarantine, all of us just did music 24 seven too. And, and most of us lived together for a long time. And it's uh, it was that like all the time together, which is awesome. But I think that we've all grown so much in this last year because we've been forced to frankly. And I think it's going to make, when we get back to playing music again, I think it's going to make it that much more, uh powerful and fun you know like it used to be back in the days before it became a job you know and there's just a big difference there for me yeah i agree with that i'm I'm sure it'll feel the same way for you guys but like that show we just played this weekend felt like it felt a little extra magical yeah yeah for sure i am jealous of your guys's weekly rehearsals though i'll be honest that's uh (laughs) because um it's something we've we've i i think we've honestly done a pretty good job continuing that the past like decade or so yeah uh, yeah the entire time we've always practiced like we we would usually practice on the weekends like all any you know friends we had were pretty much us but like anyone else we knew was out doing you know getting hammered and like driving around bridgewater or whatever (laughs) but like we were like yeah i think we're gonna just work on our shit and we would practice like every friday night i think friday was our rehearsal day for like years so we did that like religiously you know and then other days of the week we'd meet up too so we weren't like going out a lot we were kind of just working on this we would go to shows but yeah. i think that was yeah. just helping with inspiration obviously nice. yeah everybody... and like we partied but we partied while we were together music. yeah we partied <laughs> together like wait the whole time yeah. Yeah. yeah we weren't going out outside of our box we weren't doing like dumb like just reckless poor reckless things you know we were staying out of the truck we were making poor music. musical decisions <laughs> <laughs> well that's that's better than making 
poor other decisions. Um, <laughs> before we move on to this, and we do have you know one or two more questions, we're going to get out of here. Uh, Kyle, specifically, um, I remember our conversation a while back uh, when you were up here. You were rocking the Patriots hat. You guys are from the Boston area. Are the rest of you sports-ish fans Patriots, or Kyle, do you just you hold that claim? I'm definitely the biggest sports fan. Kyle's the GOAT, the the sports GOAT. All right, Kyle, I'm going to speak to you directly just for about two minutes. This is just you and me one-on-one, baby. So big year for the Patriots, obviously. Tom Brady, all this kind of stuff. I got two obvious questions. Were you rooting for or against Tom Brady in the Super Bowl? I was rooting for him. Yeah, still love Tommy. Yeah, and Gronk. You got to have love for him, you know, like – we don't know the inside politics of why he left. And like, I think people can be, people are a little whiny about it up in New England. Um, and it's like the man gave us six championships and devoted 20 years to the team. Like let's, let's like root for him, you know, good for him. You That's know? awesome. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm glad you say it that way because I feel most of the people from the Boston area, at least that I've talked to, again, I run two sports shows and a lot of the New England fans I talk to are are still rooting for Tom Brady. Not necessarily Buccaneers fans, but rooting for Tom Brady. Again, nine Super Bowls, six championships, 20 years, incredible season. The next one I got for you, Julian Edelman. Uh, Julian Edelman just retired, longtime Patriot, of course. Um, is Julian Edelman a Hall of Famer in your opinion? Um. I think he absolutely is in my book. I just think as far as like stats wise, um, you know, a, a lot of like analysts have already, like I've, I've seen buzz about that and it's like a lot of players and everybody is just like, yeah, he, the level to which he played is amazing, but stats wise, he might not make it in, but I think, I think he'll make it at least on the ballot. He goes in the hall of Kyle, but not in the hall of fame. Hey, yeah. that, and that matters, man. He's, he's second all time in playoff receptions and receiving yards behind only Jerry Rice. It's pretty, pretty powerful. So I appreciate that. I had to, I, I don't want to digress too much, but I had to, to sports nerd out while I could. And, uh, I've been talking about it a lot on my other shows. So I wanted to get a, a local New England opinion uh, on two of the hotter topics. So I appreciate that. Um, before we get out of here, uh, I did want to talk to you guys quickly about uh, manager situation. Um, so I have played the role in Soul Seed basically from the beginning of the band manager, longtime booker. We did eventually bring on a booking agent, our good brother, Alan Roper, who I fucking cannot thank enough um, but I'm still kind of the go-between between the guys and Alan and saying yes and no and and trying to think of everything. And then when we get to the show, I'm help, you know, orchestrating everything like that. I'm working on the bus on the way to the show, blah, blah, blah. It's a full-time gig on top of playing music. And it's exhausting, frankly. I love doing it, but it's exhausting. And you guys had at least one uh, one tour manager that we played with and toured with. Um, have you had, have you always had tour managers? And if not, who plays those roles in your bands? Um, because Soul Seeds only had one tour in 10 years where it wasn't me as the tour manager. And um, obviously that's the goal to have a team around you working around you, but we've always kind of felt it best and easiest and better flow for me to just do it with the inside of the guys, because I know already what they're thinking. It's just a matter of pulling the strings and just curious your thoughts. Cause uh, you know, the bands at our level in like, we're not new. We have both been bands for 10 plus years and we've been around travel nationally for years, blah, blah, blah. 
but you start building a team, there's a lot more into it. So I just want to get you guys thoughts on that really quick. Like, have you had, had other tour managers? Um, what does a touring manager actually do for you guys and who in the band would handle those responsibilities if you didn't have one moving forward? We always used to do it ourselves. We used to always handle our booking like originally, you know, um, and all the other stuff that came along with it. Our first, I don't think we had anyone besides us on the road for the first two tours, but then we had that Mark McGuinn came on the road. Is that the Light Flashes tour? Yeah. It was only half one. of it. Yeah. We, we've had a bunch of people named Mark help us out. Or along <laughs> the way. Um, Shouts out to all the Marks. Yeah, Marks have been good to us. That's all right. We have like nine mics in our band, so that's fine. <laughs> yeah, we, we did it mostly ourselves. And then we had, he came along, but he didn't do a lot of the tour manager stuff. It was just kind of like having a second, you know, a, a helping hand on the road. Yeah. And then Mark Pedraza came along and did that with us for a few years and helped us out for a while. Um, but, you know, at this point we're we've, we actually um, just started a management team. New Mark. Um, a new person named Mark, I swear to well, God. It's Mark, yeah. I know, but there is there's a Mark. Yeah, there's still a Mark involved. There's a Mark involved, so that's that helps. But yeah, so but yeah, I mean, I think um we all know it know how it works enough that when we were left to our own devices for a minute, we didn't like collapse, you know what I'm saying? But um it's nice to have other people on board. We've also haven't we haven't done a tour in years without a tour manager, so yeah. yeah. So we'll see um, if if anything comes up in the near future. Like we might have to uh, do that the self TMing thing and see how that goes. Well, it's great, and if you know, I mean, not that I'm a guru by any means, but I have been doing it for ten years. And um, Mark Pedraza specifically, uh, I have had the pleasure of working with him with you guys and kind of working around different other scenes. He and I. Um, and he's always been a pleasure to work with, uh, excellent in person, help run your guys' merch, help keep shows clean. Um, always, you know, at least from the tour that we did together, uh, seemed to always have you guys pretty dialed in. And uh, I, always worked, I always enjoyed working with Mark. Um, so I wish him the best moving forward. Uh, if you guys ever have, you know, you, you fall into that role on your own and you end up doing it in-house, um, feel free to reach out. And I, I would, you know, absolutely love to um, – give any pointers I possibly can because it is different when you're when you're the manager all day long and then you play the shows and then your manager all night long it's just a it's a different mentality you're kind of I guess to turn back to sports quick I've always thought of myself as the head coach and the quarterback and it's not supposed to be like that you're supposed to be one or the other and I've always felt I'm the head coach and the quarterback simultaneously and that can get overwhelming Thankfully, the rest of the boys are fucking incredible and they've always had my back and make it as easy as they possibly can. Um, but not every band is able to handle it. So uh, I'd be more than happy to lend any possible advice that I possibly could to help you guys get through that if you don't have another manager moving forward or, or just fall into a tour on your own. I appreciate that. Yeah, that's awesome. Absolutely. Well, hey, boys, uh, we probably will start to wrap things up. I'm super stoked to have your guys' time and your presence and your answers and just to, like, learn more about the band. It would be fun to even, like, do another episode down the road and, like, you know, see how things have grown or developed between now and when we have another episode because you guys are the shit you're best friends of ours just like interpersonally and i'm stoked to to get to actually be on stage together again soon um 
Let's finish off though. If you guys have anything you want to promote that you want to rep, uh, let people know where to find you and how to listen. Uh, we have a new single actually, like that's getting mixed right now, but um, that should be out early June. Hopefully it's called unusual times about uh, obviously the times we're living in and stuff. So that's what we got coming out right now. Um, but yeah, just follow us on Instagram to best music, Spotify, follow us on Spotify, Facebook. D-U-B-B-E-S-T. Yeah, he's got the shirt. We have our, our website, debestmusic.com. We have our merch store, which is debeststore.com. So you can get any gear there, hats, T-shirts, CDs, stuff like that. Hopefully we're getting more music out, though. We're trying to focus on that since we had some downtime. We have a lot of new material. We're trying to just start pumping out some singles and stuff like that for now. Yeah, lots of new tunes. Like, we're... Our band practices are exciting because when we, we play all these new songs and we're like, shit, we, we're excited to get back up in the studio and start recording. So it's awesome. Awesome. Soul Seed's working on some new music too. And it's, we've, we've had a tougher time practicing because we're living in separate areas, but that's awesome. We're definitely looking forward to it. Um, I have one final question for you guys uh, and we'll wrap up. Um, we are both Sugar Shack alumni. And I just wanted to hear, I, I've, I've done an episode with Eddie Kopp, um, who is the founder, uh, lead editor for Sugar Shack. Uh, he's been on the podcast as well. Great friend. I'm just curious how you guys, what your session was like with Sugar Shack. We're huge family with Sugar Shack. They took us on very early in their journey. Uh, they actually flew out here from Florida to Oregon to film our Shades of Green music video hung out with us for three or four days, traveled up to Portland and on the coast and everything. And um, just curious how that, how that session was for you all. It was, it was amazing. It was awesome. It was a typical Florida day, like pouring rain. So we literally were sitting in their driveway, like for a while waiting for the rain to like take a break. So it actually cut into our session, but we were still able to, to bang out five songs in like the hour we had. And then we just had to take off and, and drive to St. Pete to play a show that night. Yeah, it was all like first take. We were just luckily we were just kind of in the zone that day. But like we yeah, we had a show that night and the rain wasn't letting up, so we we're just waiting it out. Yeah, we literally had like a little over an hour to set up, play, and like break down. Cause then there's another band after us too. Yeah. And they got all this like electronic equipment out there and it could rain at any second. We're just like, it was kind of weird, but like it, it was honestly so much fun. Like once we got flowing, it was like, it was heaven. And they're yeah. so unbelievably professional, dude. Like they're such a machine. You just, you walk from the bus, you set it up on the deck, you, you rock it or you go inside if it's raining. Uh, we've had two sessions with them in the music video. It's been incredible. So Seed Chernots, I know a lot of people in our scene, love our family tree video it's almost at six million views we're like the fourth highest or something on their entire queue it's ridiculous um but huge family out to sugar shack so of course shouts out to sugar shack but seed chernots along with finding them on spotify and hitting up their albums and stuff make sure you catch their live session with sugar shack as well they do have a live ep available on spotify uh with sugar shack so you can get those acoustic uh raw versions that i know our people love of ours so i just want to bring that up because uh we love sugar shack and i always want to give them a shout out but also talk to the other groups that have worked with them yeah well, we're trying to get back there we want to do another one soon hopefully we'll make that happen next time we're in florida love it i love i, I watched their videos and i'm thinking it's some like huge production and you show up and it's like 
the patio on their house and they're just hanging out like they've got their equipment it's they do a good job and it's uh it's cool how it can come from just like such a humble vibe and yeah big up that deck is so much smaller in person <laughs> yeah yeah amazing yeah, yeah. It's crazy yeah it's very impressive all around the best music y'all you guys are the shit thank you so much for joining us thank you for your time uh we'll close down here and then uh we you know we will just keep chatting with you boys and and uh hopefully book some shows soon together so people can look forward to that and uh just keep staying healthy keep staying happy and keep the grind on boys yeah thanks guys love you guys so much take care of yourself (laughs) thanks for tuning into the more the music podcast We appreciate it if you'd leave us an honest rating and review wherever you're listening to the podcast. And please also subscribe to our YouTube channel and follow us on all social media platforms at Soul Seed Music. That's at S-O-L-S-E-E-D Music. For those that leave a five-star rating and review, be sure to listen for your comments to be read on a future episode. Stay tuned for our next episode and feel free to share this podcast with a friend or family member and let's expand the branches of our family tree. We appreciate you vibing with us today and we'll catch you next time on More Than Music.